Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad that you could join us again this week. This week, we're looking at lesson number six, motivation and preparation for mission. What can we do to get motivated and what can we do to get prepared? That's what we're looking at this week. Let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you for being with us today as you inspire and encourage us to be involved in the sharing of your message of hope and love with the world. And we ask that today you would help us to learn how we can get ready to do that very thing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're grateful to be able to welcome back on the program again, Greg Witsit. He is the planning director at Adventist Mission. Greg, welcome back again. Thank you. So we're looking at something that is, I know, near and dear to your heart, motivation and preparation for mission. And there are many different ways that we could go, many different directions that we could take to look at this subject, but, uh, but we want to kind of narrow it down. So get us headed in the right direction, if you would. Oh, absolutely. Uh, again, I start with story because there's so much in a story, and I love that exegetical digging out of, of a story. What's the message for us? So we're going to be looking at Luke uh, 24 and Acts 1 and 2 as the main passages for this All right. lesson. All right. Get us started. Yeah, what we have here is very interesting. You know, why is it that God needs us, right? He's much more eloquent than we are. He's, he could do it much better than we do, but and yet God does call us. You know, even the rocks can cry out, right, to, to do this work. Balaam's donkey even kind of had instructions for Balaam to warn him of his uh, potential rebellion from God's will. So why does he need us? Well, it, the reality is, is that we are transformed when we allow God to use us in mission. And so if we're interested in our own salvation— if we're interested in being transformed into Christ's character, then we better be also interested in mission because that's God's heart. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's his whole focus. You know, the whole heaven erupts in praises and celebration when one soul uh, turns to Christ. So this is the whole focus of heaven. So I would hope that it would be our focus too. Um, and what's interesting is at the beginning of this lesson, there's a passage in Philippians chapter 1. And uh, it probably wouldn't hurt us to, to take a quick look at that. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, which we remember is a, a letter that uh, Paul wrote while he was uh, in chains. He was in prison. But in verses 15 uh, to 18, Paul points out that some indeed preach Christ. How? even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice." We often are motivated by, by numbers, or we're motivated by this and by that and everything else. Well, Paul's making it very clear. The most important thing is that Christ is preached. But motivation does matter. We obviously want to be preaching in sincerity, to, to serving and blessing people out of a sense of love, because that's where Christ and where God is working from. But there's actually six things that I want to look at in, in Luke 24 and Acts 1 and 2, and I just want to say it up front, because it's not explicit in the way the lesson is written, but it's there. And that uh, these are key elements for our motivation and preparation. The first one is, it all begins with what our experience is with Jesus himself. 
we have to have a personal experience for it to be a genuine love that we are motivated by. Second is the grounding in the prophecy and in the Word of God. Um, mission starts from there. The third one is united prayer with the body of faith, the body of Christ. Third is the organization and readiness for mission. Then, of course, the outpouring, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And last is our relationship with the unbelievers, with the community. So these are the six things we're going to take a quick look at. All right, so, so let's go to Luke chapter 24 now. Okay. And as we take a look at, at, at this story, you're focusing uh, on discouragement and doubts that turn into joy and belief. How does this transformation take place? What do we see happening here in Luke 24? You know, the physician Luke, who wrote Luke Acts, his whole theme is joy and how, how people's lives are turned upside down by who Jesus is and what he is doing. Luke 24 starts with the darkest of moments. You know, just despair, everything, all hope, all plans, everything has ended. And Jesus is in the tomb. The women go out to embalm Jesus' body because they couldn't finish before the Sabbath had begun. So they're going back to finish up that work. And as they come to the tomb, of course, Jesus is not there. And instead, there's an angel who speaks to them, who are you looking for? And he reminds them of Jesus' words that he would rise on the third day and the, and the women remembered. Very powerful verse, verse 8 of Luke 24. And they remembered his words, Jesus' words. Remembering is another theme in Scripture that when we forget, it gets us in trouble. So they remember his words. But then they do what anyone would do. They go and share good news, right? So you see that missionary task already beginning. But their audience, the rest of the disciples, the men who weren't a part of this embalming process, they hear and their response is very interesting as well. In fact, let's, let's look at it in verse 11. And their words seem to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. The phrase idle tales, I think of, you know, old wives' tales or, you know, just gossip. But, you know, these people, they're thinking these women, they're just, you know, emotionally overwhelmed by everything and they're starting to see apparitions that aren't real, you know, figments of their imagination. But Peter runs to see, and when he looks, he just, the, the text says there in verse 12, he marvels to himself what had happened which is the word, he wonders. He's like, he's perplexed. What could he, because he at this point did not remember what had happened. What's interesting is that um, he does not have that remembrance experience. And so everybody's upset. So then we go on and there's, of course, the road to Emmaus that, that, and the disciples' eyes are opened. But I want to skip ahead to verse 36. Could you read verse 36 and 7? Sure, it says, Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Okay, they've seen a ghost. What in the world happened? But, you know, shalom aleichem. You know, Jesus gives that, a, that, that traditional greeting, and they are terrified. And we remember, you know, most of us, we've read this many times, we've, we understand how the story unfolds. He says, okay, you know, why are you afraid? Don't be afraid. Um, give me something to eat. You know, and so they, of course, give him something to eat. But look at, read verse 41. What is their response? After he, well, first of all, actually, I, I, I misspoke. He shows them the wounds. Then their response is verse 41. Read that. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, 
he said to them, "Have you any food here?" Okay, so but the response there is that they're so filled with joy, but they still wondered. They're still perplexed. They're still marveling. So it's like it's too good to believe their own eyes. They don't believe the women first, and then they don't believe themselves. I mean, even the men on the road to Emmaus has already given them reports. So they've had reports from women and men who've had these experiences. They don't believe, and then he asks for the food. He eats it. And then I guess they just want to understand what's going on. We don't understand. Great news, but what's going on? And that's where we see uh, the next thing happening that's unfolding here. In verse 44, Jesus says to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. What's interesting here is that Jesus is talking about the, the Old Testament. As the Hebrews call it the Tanakh. So they have the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. The Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms, uh, or which includes all the writings, not just the Psalms. You know, Ruth and Esther and uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, all these are here. So he up, opens their, to their understanding all of these scriptures. So this is, this is the underlying motivation where it all has to begin for mission for all of us. If we're going to get involved in mission, there's two things we need. One, we need a personal experience. And second, we need to understand that experience through the light of Scripture. What is God doing and what is my experience based on what he is doing in in terms of the whole world, right, and how I fall into that. But let's go a little bit further. Let's go ahead and read verse 46, 47, and 48. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. That's the key. You know, to be a witness means that we have an experience. We have seen it with our own eyes. Um, You would never ask for a testimony of someone to verify truth, who had not ever been there, and all they had done is, you know, looked at social media and, oh yeah, I, I know something about what I saw here. Um, but it's their own experience. So it's that combination of my experience explained through Scripture. All of us have assumptions about how the world works. We all have assumptions about what is real. Um, where did we come from? You know, God created the world in, in six days and he rested on the seventh. What is God's plan for the future? Um, why do bad things happen to us? And uh, all of these things. So these are, these are worldview assumptions. The way worldviews are, are formed are through a combination of life experience, living in a society where there are explanations about why things happen and how they happen, uh, so that I interpret the world based on that definition of what I get. And we get it from mom and dad. We're in our family, right? The way worldviews shift which is exactly what the disciples needed because they thought Christ was coming for a purpose, which was to set up an earthly kingdom, a political nation uh, that would be great again, bring back like the days of Solomon. Um, But when Christ died, their worldview, everything fell apart. It was a complete loss. Meanwhile, it was the greatest victory ever. And so God had to actually help them go through an experience have new explanations to go with those experiences so that their worldview could be shifted. And then there, of course, it says in verse 52, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem 
with great joy. This is at his ascension. So we see that great joy has returned uh, to replace that great discouragement. So a huge shift from discouragement to joy, from misunderstanding or lack of understanding to an understanding that, that brought that, that passion and the desire to share it with others. We're looking this week at motivation and preparation for mission, and we're going to continue looking at that. But I want to remind you of a wonderful resource that you have that you can use to help motivate you and prepare you for mission, and that is the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath school study. It's called God's Mission, My Mission. Pick it up at itiswritten.shop, and it will add a great deal more to your study. Itiswritten.shop. Look for God's Mission my mission. I'm going to come back here with Greg in just a moment as we continue looking at motivation and preparation for mission. We'll be right back. The Bible is filled with stories of flawed human beings God called to serve Him in incredible ways. He took a violent, impulsive, racist fisherman and transformed him into one of Jesus' closest disciples and one of the most influential leaders of the early church. Join me for another episode of our series, Great Characters of the Bible, as we look at the life of Peter. Peter was far from perfect. He was overly confident. He made promises he didn't keep. But his experience is an encouragement to anyone who knows the feeling of messing up as a follower of Jesus, of falling short, and wondering if you'll ever get it right. God stuck with Peter and helped him grow. And if you let him, he'll do the same for you. Great characters of the Bible. Peter, brought to you by It Is Written TV. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. itiswritten.study. Go further. itiswritten.study. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're here talking with Greg Whitsitt, and, and Greg, we're looking at motivation and preparation for mission. Uh, after looking at Luke 24, we go to Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, you, you emphasize this, this element of waiting. Mm-hmm. What's the significance of waiting? Uh, we, we don't usually think of, oh, I'm supposed to be a missionary, I'm supposed to share my faith, but wait. Um, how, do we, how do we reconcile this, and, and what's the significance of that? Well, it's interesting. Let's just go right to it. Jesus is, is actually telling them in verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And they say, okay, well, when, when will the restoration of the kingdom of Israel come? They're still thinking this, this earth. And he says, okay, it is not for you to know the times and seasons and all this, but verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And actually in Luke, it talks about waiting there as well. But the whole idea of waiting, you have to think about it this way. Anytime you see God saying something, the question is, well, why? Not a, not a rebellious why, but inquisitive. Why, why is this important? And if you look at any person who has first ex- received God's abundant blessing, experienced his love for them, 
the experience that you want to ha- that that naturally bubbles up from inside is that you want to tell people you want to go and think of all the times that Jesus said don't tell anyone you know when he healed somebody and here they're now excited they're ready to preach and and Jesus says don't don't go wait you will go but wait and so he tells us the things that we're not prone to do naturally um, because a lot of times I think we think that when it comes to mission, I just need to go. Um, and going is important. But the waiting is also important because of the need to receive power from the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a couple of things here I'd like to take a look at um, in this section, and that is actually in Acts chapter 1. Uh, we find uh, a little bit further down that they're praying. Of course, we know that this is an important thing, that they're praying together in a united way, but then something happens. Peter gets up and starts to talk about the fact that we're missing a disciple. Judas, in his great offense at betraying uh, the Messiah, his, his friend and rabbi, Jesus <laughs> of Christ, right? He, he ends up committing suicide over his despair. And so they realize we need someone to take his place If we could, let's look at verse um, 21 and 22 there. Therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Okay, so Peter has this idea that we need to replace this. Interesting idea. There was no explicit instructions from Jesus. It was just wait. But... While they're praying, this idea comes to mind, which must have been the influence of the Holy Spirit. We need to be doing this. Um, And then how do they, you know, they're actually going through the process, but there's more goes on. You know, in verse 23, they come up with the names of Joseph and Matthias. And then they pray in verse 24. And then in verse 26, it says that they cast their lots. Now, I don't know about you, but... That's an unusual way to make a really important decision, to cast lots. And I think that there's, there's several things that we need to think about. Because should I just, you know, um, eeny, meeny, money, mo, and then that's God's will? Um, how is it that they could get to this point where they were casting lots and made the decision, uh, okay, well, then this is God's will? Was it presumption? Was it superstition? Is it something we should do today? Is that how we should elect our leaders? You know, these are really troubling questions, and I'm sure... Uh, as you discuss this in, in your own Bible study groups, that that could be a very interesting thing to pursue. But I'd like to point uh, three suggestions here as we look at this. The first one is, uh, if you back up a little bit before verse 21, Peter is talking and he actually quotes in verse 20. It says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. And then he quotes another passage from Psalms, let another take his office. What he's actually referring to, it's a song of David, Psalm 109, where there is this betrayal, this great betrayal, which is partially David's experience with Saul, because he's done so much to help the kingdom and serve Saul as a faithful uh, soldier, a servant. Um, And then, of course, Saul is pursuing him. But then on the other hand, not only is this a psalm or a song of David's experience, it's also prophetic. 
And here Peter is applying it through, through the Holy Spirit to say this is our experience with what's happened with Judas. We need to replace uh, Judas with someone else. So he's basing this on Scripture. Now that's a good principle, right? Any decision we make should be based on Scripture. Right. But then the second thing which we read was in verses uh, 21 to 23 where they said, okay, how should we choose someone? And they discussed this and they agreed that they would select somebody who had been faithful, who had been present, who had been a part of their experience all along. wasn't one of the twelve, but it was one that was a part of them from the baptism of Christ with John, you know, all the way through everything. And they came up with two names that they felt were qualified, that had been a part of that whole thing. So again, first they went to Scripture and felt like this was what Scripture would have them to do. Then two, they fought through and, and came to unity and discussion that these are two names, but they decided not to choose someone. They decided, let's pray, and then let's cast lots, which was an actual process of a couple of, maybe a couple of pieces of pottery or chips of wood or stones, but then the one that was to be for Matthias and the one that was supposed to be for Joseph, the, whichever one fell out when they shook it, then that must be God's blessing. The reality is either of these two men could have done a great job because they had done the work beforehand. But they didn't want to choose themselves, perhaps because they didn't want to make the one who they didn't choose feel badly. Let's let God decide the one. And so that's how that came about. Is that the best explanation? I don't know. But I think that this is uh, an important process that we see in the preparation for mission. They're praying, which we often focus on that part. But this second part is how do we make decisions to organize? As a planning director for Adventist Mission, I do a lot of work with strategy. And sometimes people feel like, oh, maybe they just let the Holy Spirit lead. We don't need to organize. We don't need to plan. We don't need to have strategies or goals or these types of things. But clearly, we see that happening at the very beginning of the Christian mission uh, where there was a lot of organization and strategy happening. So a lot less what we might call chance going on right there <laughs> right. and a whole lot more behind it. Those, those three observations, I, I think, are very helpful in understanding what's going on there. Yes. Um, in the study, you next take us to Acts chapter 2, uh, and, and Acts chapter 2 is, is one that is frequently looked at as, as the moving of the Holy Spirit and powerfully. What are some things that we can learn about motivation and preparation for mission from Acts chapter 2? Well, I'd just like to point out uh, two, two things, one before Peter's sermon and then the other one at the very end of chapter 2. And I'd like us to actually read uh, verse 4. Would you read that? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I think that there's a lot of theology in that smallest word, as. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I think there's two important things here. This is a little preposition, which a prepositional phrase is going to modify the meaning of something else. And in this case, it's acting like an adverb to modify how that they spoke in tongues. They did it as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. On the one hand, it's talking about time, I believe. When the Holy Spirit empowered them, they immediately began to use that gift. It wasn't like, okay, well, I have this gift. Maybe next week I could uh, use that gift at a certain uh, opportune moment. You know, a lot of times we see that we have gifts, but we're hesitant to actually go and use it. And I think this is an important understanding here that as soon as they receive the power of the Holy Spirit this gift to speak in other tongues, they went out and used it. But the other meaning that could this word as could be focusing on is 
the manner. They spoke in the language that the Holy Spirit gave them to speak in. It wasn't that they were covering, oh man, you got Egyptian? Ah, I I got Syrian. You know, oh, you got Italian? I got uh, Phoenician or whatever it was, the languages that were going on. They They weren't bickering over which language or they weren't saying, oh, I need to add another language or a third language. They just used the, the gifts that God had given them. And I think that's an important lesson for us. Moses was told, what is it you have in your hand, Moses, right? And, and he said, well, it's the staff. And, and God used what he had to help with the deliverance of Israel. And I think that's exactly our, our focus. Greg, let me ask you this in the, in the moments that we have left. How does chapter 2 end and what kind of a challenge does that give us in our motivation and mission for sharing Jesus with others? Well, it, it, it ends beautifully. Of course, we have to, for the sake of time, we're focusing in on some of the passages maybe that we wouldn't, you know, there's a sermon and there's a baptism, but let's focus down at verse 46 and 47 specifically. It says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Part of our preparation for mission is how we live as missionaries, right? So what we see is that there was gladness, that theme of great joy is continuing with, with Luke and Acts, but with simplicity of heart, which I, I understand that to mean there weren't cliques, there weren't politics, there was just a mutuality, a community that was not stratified according to, to those in leadership and those who are not. It was, it was, there was a unity there. But they were praising God and having favor with other people. So, like Jesus grew up you know, in wisdom and stature in favor of God and man, this idea of having favor is one where people are drawn in. A lot of times in mission, we go chasing after. We, we focus on the going, forgetting that we need to be winsome and be a magnet. If we lift Christ up, he said, if you lift me up, I will draw all men unto me. So this lifestyle is is so important. Um, I'd like to I'd like to also uh, share a powerful quote here from Christ Object Lessons. It says there there can be no growth or fruitfulness in the life that is centered in self. If you have accepted Christ as a personal savior, you are to forget yourself and try to help others. Talk of the love of Christ. Tell of His goodness. Do every duty that presents itself. Carry the burden of souls upon your heart and by every means in in your power, seek to save the lost. And then it ends with this thought. As you receive the spirit of Christ, the spirit of unselfish love and labor for others, you will grow and bring forth fruit. The graces of the spirit will ripen in your character, your faith will increase, your convictions deepen, and your love be made perfect. That's the motivation. We started with Philippians chapter 1. Some are proclaiming Christ out, out of, out of uh, their own vainglory. You know, they're trying to build themselves up, but others out of love. And it's actually uh, participating in that missionary experience of sharing God's love with others that love is perfected in my heart. And that's what God wants to do in us. I think as he does that, we become more effective missionaries and, and brighter lights to shine for him. Exactly. Greg, thank you for joining us this week. And thank you for joining us. We're going to be back again next week as we continue our journey through understanding God's mission and my mission. God bless you. We'll see you next week here on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written.